Pastor Dwight talked, we, uh, we're beginning a new message series this week called Fast Forward. Fast Forward. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to spo- focus on the, the next month on ways that we can accelerate our spiritual lives. Ways that we can accelerate our spiritual lives. How many of you know that in Scripture there are things that we can see that if we put them into practice, they are going to accelerate our spiritual lives, right? There are things that are laid out in Scripture that will rapidly move us forward in our spiritual relationships with the Lord. Uh, To set some framework for that, what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a couple of meanings for the word accelerate to kind of establish like what the angle that we're coming from. You know, naturally, I think that the first thing, Alec colored all over my sermon. Awesome. Um, It's fine. Uh, But uh, one of the, I think, natural things that we think about when we think about acceleration is putting our foot on the gas pedal, right? right? And so one of the first meanings of acceleration is to begin to move uh, forward more quickly, to begin to move more quickly, to begin to move forward more quickly. Now, when I, when I open up and I say, we're going to spend a whole month about how to accelerate your spiritual life, some of you may be thinking, I don't want my life to begin to move more quickly. Some of you may be thinking, I like the pace of my life. I don't like to rush. Do we have any, let's be honest, anybody in the room like, I, I like to take my time, right? I don't want to rush. I don't want my life to be any faster or any more hectic than it already is. I like to take my time. Well, let me kind of establish what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about filling our spiritual lives with more stuff to do and running our spiritual races faster or harder because how many of you know that a relationship with Jesus is a marathon, not a sprint? You have to have a pace, but it's not about how we start. It's about how we finish. So I'm not talking about becoming like more spiritually busy just for the sake of being busy. What I'm talking about is this, is that in Scripture, there are things that if we put them into practice, they will accelerate our spiritual lives and they'll rapidly enhance our spiritual lives so that we become more effective and more fruitful. I don't know about you, but um, I like things that are more effective because a lot of times they make my life easier. You know, anybody in the room um, ever do a house project? Anybody in, the, anybody in the room ever do a house project um, with the wrong tool? Yep. You know what I'm talking about. When you have the right tool, the task is easier. See, when I talk about rapid doing things in Scripture that rapidly accelerate your life, I'm talking about working smarter, not harder. There are things in Scripture that will accelerate our spiritual lives because they're the right tool for the job. And that's what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Today, for instance, I got paid. Thank you very much, by the way. I appreciate that, that you guys didn't skip some weeks. I got paid this morning. And when I got paid, I opened up my phone and I went to my banking app. And I logged in, I took a picture of the front of the check, and I took a picture of the back of the check, and I virtually deposited my checks and instantly the money was in the, in the bank account. I love that. That is effective because it's efficient. It, it accomplishes the same thing that would happen if I went to the bank, but I don't have to go to the bank. Right. This is what I'm talking about. Working smarter, 
not harder. Now, some of you may be paranoid conspiracy theorists and like, I never take pictures of my checks on my phones because someone's going to hack it. And no. Work smarter, not harder. Another example of that is before I, go to, uh, before I leave the church, I often will uh, open up my Chipotle app. <laughs> and I will order all of my food before we go. And guess what happens? I can order my food over an app, pay for it over the app. I can walk into the Chipotle and judge everybody in the line. <laughs> Look at you. Don't even know what you're doing. You're not even planning out your life. Watch this. And I can walk up to a shelf, grab a bag with my name on it, and just leave. I'm working smarter, not harder. I'm accelerating my life because I'm becoming more effective. There are things in Scripture that will accelerate your life so that you become more effective and more fruitful. Now, the reason why I'm talking about these things is, is because, I don't know about you, the Bible, my Bible says that life is a vapor, and that means that time is precious, and I don't want to waste time being ineffective when there's something in my life that I could do spiritually to become more effective and more fruitful. Can I get an amen? amen. Accelerate also means to increase the area that is covered by something. To increase the area that is covered by something. How many of you know that the kingdom accelerated at a rapid rate in expanding the area that it covered? When I think about this definition, I think about uh, phone companies like Sprint or Verizon. Why do they continually, continually, perpetually build more and more towers? Because they're trying to expand their coverage. Every time they build a tower, they're accelerating their company to expand a larger, to expand it over a larger area so that people don't have drop calls, unless you're in Canal Winchester. And so, <laughs> acceleration means to increase the amount of area that is covered by something. Other definitions of accelerate are to gain momentum, to surge forward with a sudden powerful upward or forward movement. Come on, does anybody in the house need some spiritual momentum to surge forward upward in a, in, a, in a rapid rate? How many of you have ever felt spiritually stuck? Anybody ever felt spiritually stuck? We, 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 we call it a dry season, you know, whatever, whatever terminology, but it, it, it's, it's, it's you're stuck. And what happens is you feel like a hamster on a wheel where you're running in place, but you don't have any traction. You feel like you're exasperating your efforts and you're, you're trying to do certain different things and you're stuck, but you're not moving forward. Listen to me. There are things in Scripture that if we put them into place, we will get traction and we will surge forward, upwardly and forwardly. And so the reason why we titled this series Fast Forward is because fast forwarding is all about accelerating for the purpose of moving forward. We're not ramping up life for the sake of just getting busier or faster. We are talking about fast forwarding so that you can catapult yourself beyond an obstacle, an opposition, a place where you felt stuck, where you feel like you're in the trenches. There's things you can do to get out. And so we're talking about fast-forwarding our lives for the purpose of move, moving forward. And I don't know about you, but there are moments 
in every one of our lives where God is going to speak loud and clear, it's time to move forward. You have, you have been here too long. It is time for you to move forward. And so I, I, we see that in Scripture in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Moses is with God, and God says, enough. Go and tell the people to get ready to move forward because it's time. We see that in Scripture. So let's talk about one of the ways in which we can fast forward or we can accelerate our spiritual lives so that we move forward. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to be bouncing between Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Um, Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Actually, Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4 have a lot of similarities. Uh, they talk about the baptism of Jesus. They also talk about Jesus' experience in the wilderness. And so um, in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3, we read that Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. And most of you already are very familiar with this passage of Scripture, but this passage of Scripture uh, describes what takes place when Jesus comes up out of the water. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, uh, in, in different ways, but it says the same thing, that as Jesus came out of the water after being baptized by John, what happened? Okay, the heavens were open, right? And the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, descended and rested upon him, right? It descended and rested upon him. Now, the interesting thing is, remember, we go back, I've said this multiple times in multiple sermons, that Jesus only did what his father told him to do. So we don't have any record from the Gospels that Jesus knew that, that this was going to take place when he got baptized. We don't have any record of Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to go get baptized by John because I know when it happens, the Holy Spirit, the heavens are going to open and the Holy Spirit's going to come and be placed upon me. All we know is what Jesus said to John when John was hesitant to baptize Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, uh, Jesus, when John says, you're coming to be baptized by me, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, I must be baptized by you because of why? To fulfill all righteousness. So I don't know what that means, but when I read it, that tells me that Jesus, the only reason why he went to be baptized is because he was wanting to obey the will of his father. His father says, go get baptized. Now, what we have to do is that we have to understand that Jesus was wanting to be baptized to obey his father. And what Jesus came to discover is in his obedience to be water baptized by John, that the Holy Spirit depend, descended upon him in the form of a dove. Now, I hope you stay with me when I say this. But when, when we read this passage of scripture, we have to remember what Paul said about Jesus in Philippians. Uh, we have to almost read this passage of scripture through what Paul said in Philippians because it's kind of a filter that helps us understand 
what God was trying to accomplish in Jesus in telling him, go get baptized by John. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Are you guys with me? Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Jesus, or Paul says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus was, in verse 6, he was in the very nature he was God. And he did not consider equality with, something to be, uh, with God something to be used for his own advantage. Verse 7 says, rather he made himself nothing. Turn to somebody and say, nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. What we have to understand is that Jesus, before he, before he ever comes into the world, he empties himself. He removes everything that gave him an advantage as God. He removed everything, all of his power, all of his privileges as God. He removed those things and he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Okay, and, and so he emptied himself uh, by taking the very nature of a servant and he made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. So when we read that understanding of what Jesus, Jesus did before he ever came to earth, there's a different take that I have now on why he went to be baptized. Once again, he emptied himself. But there's nowhere in scripture that we know that Jesus had an insight on as to why he was supposed to be baptized except for to fulfill all righteousness. He was just going to obey his father. So listen to me. In making himself nothing, Jesus removed from himself all of his innate, supernatural, divine power. However... His father was not going to leave Jesus empty-handed. God was not going to make Jesus work harder to fulfill his kingdom ministry. He was going to equip him with something that would make Jesus more effective. Because what the father knew is that Jesus would need his power back in order to fulfill his mission upon the earth. How many of you know that in order for Jesus to raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and provide miracles, he would need a supernatural power from the Father to fulfill that. So what the Father did was, don't worry about why, just do what I tell you to do. You need to be obedient to my will, go get baptized by John. And so Jesus gets baptized by John, and then he begins to understand why. Because everything that he stripped himself of before he... Uh, came from heaven, he was now about to get back. That's right. Come on. So he, bapt he gets baptized, the heavens open, and the Spirit, it says, the Spirit comes and rests upon Jesus. Now, when the Holy Spirit rested upon him, I think this is really interesting. When the Holy Spirit came and rested upon Jesus, what it did was it restored to him a form of godliness. But he still didn't have power. How many of you know that that sounds familiar? Remember what Paul said? That there are those that have a form of godliness but deny the power? So Jesus now, when the Holy Spirit rests upon him, he's got his form back. But he still doesn't have the power. 
See, the Bible says in, in Luke 4, 1, that the Holy Spirit, or actually in Luke 3, it says that the Holy Spirit rested upon him. And then in Luke 4, 1, this is fascinating. This is so, so amazing. Luke 4, 1, in the New American Standard Translation, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So he had the exterior form back, but he was also full. But it doesn't say that in that fullness he had power. That doesn't come till later. That actually comes at the end of Luke chapter 4. So what that tells me is that we can have our form, we can be full, but we can still not have power. We can be full of the Holy Spirit, but it's an entirely different thing to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's Jesus. He's got his form back. He's got the Holy Spirit on him. The Bible says in Luke 4.1 that he's got the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. Do you want to know what the enemy loves? The enemy loves Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit but don't have his Holy Spirit's power. He loves Christians that are full, but it's not enough to counter the opposition. See, one of the problems that I see in the American church is that we over-focus on form without power. We over-focus on form. What, what that lends itself to is self-help. Yeah. De- fix you. Develop you. Become, uh, become everything you can to have the form of godliness. But what we need is power. I want to show you a picture. Go ahead and put that up. Go ahead and ignore the white tux, because who does that? Um, This was one of my many proms that I attended. It's not me, it's him. I give him all the glory for that. Um, Totally kidding, but... (laughs) Uh, As you can see, my expression looks like, I'm not sure this is right. I'm not sure this tux is going to do it, but... This was me at 16. Now, what's behind me is a Chevy Camaro. Do we have any car enthusiasts in the the room? Some muscle car enthusiasts. So this is a 1983 Chevy Camaro. uh, This was my first car. I went to Honda East, and it was on the used car lot, and it had 52,000 miles on it, and I bought it for 3,200 bucks. It's awesome. Oh, well, my dad bought it. But it's anyways. Um... (laughs) Uh, And so this was my first car, and I loved this car. This car was obviously black. Uh, I ended up going on to tint the windows. Um, I tinted the headlights and the taillights. I had the leather front cover on the car. I went and and met with a friend, and I bought the, like, uh, I bought 1977 Camaro SS wheels. They were about 245s. They were nice and thick. Um, I put a CD player in it, I put uh, a a sound system in it, Uh, and here's the best part, I had a black light in it, so when it was dark, I turned that sucker on and I'd just be glowing down the street. (laughs) If I'm going out at night, I'm wearing white, because I'm going to put that thing in and I'm just, y'all going to be like, dang, because this was during, this was when Fast and Furious first came out. And so, 
I had that, and then on top of that, I had neon lights underneath the car. So, so they're just lighting up the road as I'm driving down the street. Now, it's an amazing car, right? I love this car. This was one of my favorite cars. But there was a problem. It looked powerful, but it wasn't powerful. It had the form of power, but it didn't have any power. And here's why. Because it was a six-cylinder, not an eight-cylinder. That thing went zero to 60 in about 290 seconds. Matter of fact, any time I get on 270 or 70, I probably put my hazards on as I'm getting on, like, just don't mind me. I'll get up in a minute. I'll just, just go ahead and pass me. The car was so heavy, but it wasn't powerful enough to move forward. See, that's what the life of a believer looks like without the power of the Holy Spirit. What will separate us from other believers is not our form. It will be our power. It will be what's going on on the inside, not what we look like on the outside. A form of godliness without power is just religion. And what the Father wanted to display through Jesus was how he was different from Israel's religious elite. Now, here, let me take it a step further because this came in the middle of worship. Jesus got baptized and God spoke out of the cloud audibly, This is my son, whom I love. In him, I am, he is greatly favored by me. What, we, what tends to happen in the American church is we think if we're favored, it won't require any sacrifice. What we do is we think, we sing all these songs, songs about how he loves me, and, and they all pertain to God's love for us. But favor is something you get through stewardship. It's different from, from, from love. And we, we tend to believe that the, the, the results of what we get from love and what we get from favor are the same. Jesus was the most loved person to have ever walked the planet and how many of you know he paid the greatest sacrifice? Favor does not mean you'll never have to count the cost. We think favor means I'm blessed. I don't have to do anything. I can just rest and do nothing, and God's going to do it all on my behalf. That's not true. Because what we see is the most favored person to ever walk the planet one who had the Holy Spirit come up in the tangible form of a dove and rest on him and then fill him from that resting and filling. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, four full of the Holy Spirit to do what? Fast for 40 days. Hey, you're so favored, you're going to have to pay a great sacrifice for it. That's a rewire of thinking. Because in, in the American church in 2020, we want to act like there's no cost. And here's Jesus in Luke chapter 4 being led by the Holy Spirit. So the Father gives Jesus his form of godliness back. And then immediately after getting his form, the Bible says in Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Now, if you have ever fasted, it's one thing to fast one day, one hour, a half a day, a meal. In modern culture, 
It's one thing to have access to clean water so you can just keep on drinking water the whole time you're fasting. It's another thing for you to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness where you're going to have to figure out water. You're going to have to, it says that the, the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit around the wilderness. And so he's following the Father, not eating for 40 days. He's going to have to find, figure out his supply. It was nonstop. I can't, I can't imagine past day three what that was like. And it's interesting because Moses fasted 40 days. Elijah fasted 40 days. Jesus fasted 40 days because he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And he was about to, to, to cause an acceleration under a new covenant of the kingdom. And so it says he goes. Now, this is so important. God would not let... Now, he knows he's loved. He knows that he's got the Holy Spirit on him. But it's really interesting because... God would not allow Jesus to enter into ministry until he fasted. He didn't say, you're approved, you've got my favor, I love you, now go and conquer. He wouldn't let him do that. Because remember, he's led by the Spirit. So, so Jesus, so the Father says, before you ever do a thing, you're going to fast forward. And so it goes on. God would not let Jesus move forward with his mission without a power from God to accomplish the mission. And so the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to fast. And in his fasting, he was going to give Jesus the power that he emptied himself of before he came to earth. Listen to me. The reason why Jesus' ministry was so powerful, the reason why it was so effective, the reason why it moved so quickly and so rapidly, was, and the reason why he, had, he covered so much area and he had so much momentum was because he accelerated himself by fasting before he ever moved forward. That's good. There's a power that we see in this that God will release to you and I when we choose to fast unto him before we ever move forward. If you want to accelerate your spiritual life, I've got good news for you. You're going to need to take time to fast. Amen. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> So encouraging. Amen. If you want to move forward, you're going to have to deprive yourself. Be blessed. You're favored. See, we don't, I, I told the worship team that fasting is up there with gratitude in sermon selections on a yearly basis. Nobody likes to talk about being grateful. I don't really hear a whole lot of messages on fasting anymore. As if we outgrew it. If you want to accelerate your spiritual life, you're going to have to take time to fast to God. There's something about physical acts of obedience that release spiritual power in our lives. An example of that is Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites are battling or facing the Amalekites. We talked about this in the worship series in August. And, um, and, and so God tells Moses, when the battle is going on, I want you to go up on the hillside and I want you to lift your arms. And what does the Bible say? As long as his arms were up, they were winning the battle. But when his arms dropped, they began to lose the battle. What was the point? It was a physical act of obedience that released a spiritual power on the battlefield that was released only out of it. 
physical acts of obedience will bring spiritual releases of power. That's an example of it. It says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What was the point? The point is that there are physical acts of obedience that bring a spiritual release. Fasting is no different. Fasting is a physical act of obedience when done unto God that brings a spiritual release of power in our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit comes as a byproduct of what happens in us when we fast unto God. This is what happens. It's a byproduct. And so if you want to accelerate your spiritual life, there are going to be moments where God says, you're not going to be able to move forward until you fast forward. Listen to what Luke chapter 4 says. Jesus fasts for 40, 40 days in the wilderness. Remember, I talked about the fact that he had the dove on him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between being full of the Holy Spirit and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what we see in Jesus' fast, in Luke 4.14, after the fast, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. It, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through all of the surrounding district. What does that sound like? That sounds like acceleration. Before he fasted, he was full of the Holy Spirit. After he fasted, he was full of the Holy Spirit's power. And listen to what was said of Jesus as soon as he entered into ministry. In verse 36, it says, Amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and what? Power. Power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And verse 37 says, And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. When we fast forward, this is so good. And this is, there's a reason why the uh, Holy Spirit would not allow Jesus to move forward unless he fast, fasted forward. Because the Holy Spirit, God knew that there was going to be opposition to the advancement of the kingdom. How many of you guys know that's a no-brainer? Anytime that the kingdom is advancing, there's going to be resistance, there's going to be opposition, whether that be the kingdom advancing in you, or the kingdom advancing in a church, or the kingdom advancing in the church at large. There's always opposition, there's always obstacles, there's always barriers, there's always hindrances, but what we find in Jesus is that when he fasted forward before he ever went into ministry, obstacles weren't obstacles. Hindrances weren't hindrances. Barriers weren't barriers. Everything that could have been a potential setback wasn't a setback. And I got to believe it's because he had a power for the moment that he got before the moment. That's right. That, that, that he didn't react to a problem and then go fast for the breakthrough. He invested breakthrough power before the obstacle so that when the obstacle came, it wasn't a problem. See, what we have to understand is so many times in the kingdom, we pray and we fast out of a reaction to the enemy. Instead of realizing there's a reason why Jesus said, when you fast, because as you will continually fast, it will supply a power so that the obstacles in your future that come won't be problems anymore. 
It is a forerunning power that levels hills, levels obstacles, levels difficulties, levels planes. Breakthrough happens naturally as you fast forward. And so Jesus was able to accelerate his ministry in times when the disciples would have been stuck and had no momentum and were in the trenches and they were freaking out. For example, let's talk about the wind and the waves. They are straining at the oars. How many of you know that's a problem? But when you fast and you pray into something, you're going to have a discernment. You're going to have a power. You're going to have a boldness. You're going to have an audacious faith that, that arrives in the moment that you don't need to leave the problem to go get. Jesus is asleep in the same storm. They're, they are straining at the oars. And what Jesus has is an insight that came from continual prayer and fasting that says the waves are not the problem. The wind's the problem. And he speaks, and instantly, what happens? The waves die. The wind dies down. And they say, look at him and say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Time and time again, we see Jesus over and over again. He wasn't fasting and praying for recovery. He was fasting and praying for future advancement. That's right. He would go to the Father to spend time with the Father, not to recover from what happened in the day, but to get a supply for the next day. That's right. If we choose, and this is why the devil wants to lull the church asleep, because the church never advances forward if it's maintenancing the problems of the enemy all the time. So, yeah, hey, don't read your word. Don't fast. Don't pray. And what's going to happen is where you are right now, you will be 30 years from now. Because you'll be circling around the same Jericho wall. You'll be dealing with the same battle. You'll be dealing with the same opposition. And that's what the love, you know, what? listen, that's what the enemy loves. The enemy loves a believer that has full of the Holy Spirit, but not full of his power. You can just march around Jericho. Do you remember looking back to Jericho? What did, what did God speak to Moses? He said, consecrate yourselves before you cross over the river. Consecration is taking vows of fasting and prayer before you ever come to Jericho. Because right now, you are going to get breakthroughs so that when you go up to that, it's no longer an obstacle. Consecrate yourselves before you ever cross the river. Your prophetic word will require fasting. It will require prayer that advances into the territory that you will one day take. But you will never see it happen if you're not investing into your future through prayer and fasting. From setting aside times where you consecrate yourself and it's not in reaction to a problem. It's God I'm doing this right now because I know my future opposition requires less of me and more of you. And you look at people's lives. You look at people's lives in the kingdom, heroes of the faith, and you're like, man, they were favored by God. They operated in miracles and gifts and faith and all these things. But did you, do you know about the sacrifice? Because it wasn't favored. It was a cost that was paid that you never saw. That's right. And you look at the external and you look, man, it's like, why can't I be like them? Why can't I have, if Jesus fasted and we don't think we need to fast, are you kidding? I mean, come on, it's laughable. 
It's like Jesus, you know. It's like we can make this argument with Jesus. Like, Jesus, you know, it's 2020. New year, new me. Year of seeing vision clearly. And I, I just, part of the kingdom, it's a new revelation that I've read in Scripture. I don't need to fast. I feast on you. Yeah. No, that's what you do when you fast. Because you remember when Jesus said, on the 40th day, when the enemy tempted him, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds, which is active, it's an active verb, proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, there was times where God was directly speaking to Jesus, but there was new revelations of what, Jesus, what God had already spoke in the, in the Pentateuch that Jesus knew. He was quoting Deuteronomy when he said that. And what we don't even realize is that in declaring it, he was feeding himself. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I literally just ate that on the 40th day. I was feeding myself with a scripture as I was resisting your temptation. You feast on God in the fast, not in the absence of it. What are we doing? Why are we deluding ourselves thinking that we have this new revelation that there's no sacrifice involved? There's a cost. And so every obstacle, when you fast forward, becomes an opportunity for you to display the power of the Holy Spirit that you got full of as you fasted. One of the ways in which we can accelerate our spiritual lives and get traction is by fasting. And I don't know about you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the fire of the Holy Ghost. That's what the power is. Listen to what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, if the gifts of the Spirit are not in the church, you can call it what you like, but it is a backletter church. You can be baptized in water a thousand times, and it will not make the Spirit move. You will have to have something better than water baptism. You will have to have fire. You will have to have the inward presence of God. Where the Holy Ghost comes, the gifts are manifest. He said, you will have to have fire. If you want the fire and you want the power, then, then one of the ways you get it is through fasting. Now, I'm not saying that we prostitute God for power. What I'm saying is we fast unto God because we say, God, I've got to have more of you and less of me. And the power comes as a byproduct of that. Sometimes we've got to empty ourselves because less of us will result in more of him. The fuller you are of the Holy Spirit, the more accelerated your spiritual life will be. And if I could have the worship team come forward. I'm going to give you an example um, in a minute. Wow, it's only 11.38. I've done, I've done good. I've done good, Pastor. One of the songs that we sang this morning is called When You Walk Into the Room. When You Walk Into the Room. And some of the lyrics from this song are, When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room... Sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there is resurrection life in all that you do. 
In Matthew chapter 17, if we could have everyone just stand, I'm going to close with this and then we're going to worship. In Matthew chapter 17, there's a man that has a problem. The man that has the problem went to the disciples with the problem. The problem was is his son was demon-possessed. And the disciples, he comes to Jesus' feet, he lays down to Jesus' feet, and he says, Jesus, I went to your disciples because my son was demon-possessed, and they tried to cast him out, but nothing happened. Now, the disciples were full of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't necessarily have the power of the Holy Spirit for that moment. And Jesus say, takes a deep sigh and he says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to deal with you? And then what he says is, Bring the boy to me. And instantaneously, he relieves this young man of the demon possession. And the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, They, go, they have this experience. Then the Jesus, disciples come back to him perplexed. What? How are you any different than me, than us? You've commissioned us. You've sent us out. You've done, asked us to do all these things. Why, why were you able to cast this out, but we weren't able to cast this out? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, this kind only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, what I don't want you to miss is that he said that after he delivered the child. In other words, what he was saying was... I have already prayed into this moment. I've already fasted into this moment. And the reason why I was able to deliver that child of that thing and you weren't was because I had a power in this moment that you didn't have because I invested in it a couple of weeks ago, a couple of hours ago, a couple of days ago. I poured my, laid myself out before the Lord and I sacrificed and I fasted because I knew, Jesus even knew, listen to this, Jesus even knew alone by himself, he was not enough. He needed to have more of the Father in him. Jesus knew that. He said, he would get before the Father and say, God, I, Father, I have to have more of you and less of me. And so he would consecrate himself, himself before the Father in prayer and fasting. And then what was in opposition for the disciples was an opportunity for him to display his power. He said, some things only come out prayer in prayer and fasting. And that's what I did today. I casted out what you couldn't cast out. And it's no knock on you. I just sacrificed for it. I fasted into it. I fasted forward before this opposition was ever available. And I was able to do what you weren't able to do. Listen to me. We could do a 21 days of prayer and fasting. We could set up a campaign. We could do all of it. But to be honest, I think we all just need less of us and more of Jesus. Do we need a campaign? Do we need a campaign? To do what Jesus did. Do we need that? Do we need a, a, a calendar reminder? Do we need a Deanna email with a, a, with a quote about fasting? Or can we say that my future for the advancement of the kingdom depends 
on me doing something today so that the opposition of tomorrow is an opposition, so that the problem tomorrow isn't a problem, so that the adversity tomorrow isn't an adversity. Listen to me. The reason why Jesus uh, wants to call us to prayer and fasting is because he wants it to be as if when we walk in the room, he walked in the room. That's what he wants. And so if Jesus said, I have to have more of the Father, then I think it's time for us, if we're stuck in the trenches and we feel like a hamster on a wheel and we can't move forward, or the prophetic things that have been spoken of our lives always seem like they're in the future, you're going to pull them into the present when you fast forward. Because you're going to accelerate your spiritual life and it's not going to be a huff and puff where you're like crazy. You're actually going to be working more effective and more efficiently to see the advancement of the kingdom. So if you're in this, I I just, this is my whole point. I just want you to leave today saying, God, do I need to fast? Am I I stuck in a place? Am I in the middle of a Jericho that I can't seem to get around because I'm doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Am I, am, I, am I believing the lie that favor doesn't mean I have to sacrifice anything? And God, you're going to do it all? Let's fast. And you choose it. You choose it. To see the kingdom of God advance in your life. And the amazing thing is that if the kingdom of God advances in every one of our lives, guess what? The kingdom of God is advancing in our church. So as we worship today to when you walk into the room, I want, to be encur- I want you to be encouraged that that's actually God's heart for when you walk into the room. Amen. That's right. And some things will only come out through prayer and fasting as we fast forward before obstacles, opposition, and adversities ever come our way. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Thank you. 